Welcome to the 240th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Patrick Winograd. In this edition, our topics are an overview of my weekend predictions, our look at week 15 of the NFL, uh, a review of the beginning of college football bowl games, our weekly look at the NBA, and our weekly look at college basketball. So let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Uh, in the NFL, I went 4-0 in those predictions. In the NBA, I went 2-2. Two two. In college basketball, I went 2-2. Two and two. and in college football, I went 3-1 in bowl game predictions, which means I went 11-5 combined, bringing me to a 913-592 and 592 overall record, a 60.7% winning percentage. Uh, my predictions, as always, will be posted for next week on Thursday, but I'll go back into each of those leagues individually right now. Well, I've had a good run of things recently in the NFL. Um, I believe 11-1 and one over the last three weeks, which has been pretty good in bringing up the overall record pretty much single-handedly. I've pretty much been at 500 and maybe a little, I think maybe two games above technically for the last three weeks in college basketball and then right at 500 in the NBA predictions. Um, so could be doing better in those areas for sure. Uh, in college basketball, it's always tough to figure out those early season matchups, um, especially the non-conference ones where, you know, you kind of have rankings in a few games. And other than that, it's just all, have you watched the teams and what do you think on the eye test? Um, The only team I would say I have a feel for is kind of really UConn (laughs) Um, in terms of who they might beat Purdue. I I didn't see that coming for a, their loss against Northwestern and B pulling off subset over Arizona that I'll talk about later. Um, And then in college football, bowl game predictions are kind of, you know, there are so many things that go into them. It's kind of really just, Every week is kind of different. You you might think that you have good picks one week and then, you know, a player randomly opts out. I know Western Kentucky's best receiver in their game um, played for the first half or for the first quarter or so and then came back out in the second half and street closed. That was not announced that that was a planned thing. So you just never know what will happen in bowl games. They're a little bit finicky as well, but I still went three and one in those. So I was happy about that this week. Um, But going back to the NFL, I predicted that the Bengals would beat the Vikings. They did that in overtime. Uh, the Lions beat the Broncos 42 to 17. Those were both Saturday games. And then on Sunday, the Bills destroyed the Cowboys 31 to 10. And the Ravens beat the Jaguars 23 to 7. And again, obviously got all of those right uh, as I had that 4-0 record this week. Um, in the NBA, Celtics beat the Magics, the Magic 128 to 111. The Knicks beat the Suns 139 to 122. I got the Knicks game wrong, the Celtics game right. Um, those games were on Friday, and then the Timberwolves beat the Pacers 127-109. to 109. On Saturday, I got that right, and the Thunder beat the Nuggets 118-117, to 117, which I got wrong. Um, that was a big comeback from the Thunder in that game uh, late. The Nuggets were up, I think, 9 or 10 points in the, late in the fourth quarter, three minutes left or something like that. Um, but the Thunder still pulled off the comeback, and they ended up with the victory. Um, and then in college basketball, UConn beat Gonzaga. That's what I was talking about, a game that I had feel for. Um, Purdue beat Arizona. Arizona made a good comeback in this one to make it close after Purdue had a pretty big lead going into the half and then a pretty big lead early on in the second half, um, but just not quite able to bring it back on a new in a neutral site game that was in Indianapolis. So not quite neutral site, but by the way, same as the Gonzaga game, UConn beat Gonzaga in Seattle, which was technically a neutral site game, but not very neutral. Um, and then number 14, Kentucky beat number nine, North Carolina, 87 to 83. Uh, This was an early season classic type of a game. This was just a really, really good game to watch. 
Uh, this was a neutral site game, this being in Atlanta. Um, so this was a fun game. CBS Sports Classic probably um, got lucky that these two teams were the ones who matched up uh, this year because if they had Kentucky versus Ohio State and North Carolina versus UCLA, both of those games wouldn't have been close. Um, but instead, they got the two ranked teams, the two top 15 teams, I shouldn't even say, uh, against each other. And then they got the two unranked teams against each other. So it made for better matchups. Um, and then Memphis beat number 13 Clemson 79 to 77, handing Clemson their first loss of the season. Um, and then in college football, three and one, like you said, App State beat Miami of Ohio 13 to nine, which is a win. Uh, the game I got wrong was Fresno State beat New Mexico State 37 to 10. Um, UCLA beat Boise State 35 to 22, and then Texas Tech beat Cal 34 and 34 to 14. Uh, so overall, I was happy with how I did this week. I'm um, looking forward to next week's games, or maybe there might be some conference action in basketball, although I'm not sure because it's kind of that weird winter break period for uh, many different teams. So we'll just have to see what happens. I think there are some Big East games that might be worth um, predicting and talking about, but we'll just have to see. My predictions for next weekend's games, as I stated earlier, will be posted um, on our website on Thursday. But for now, let's go to the NFL, starting with the closest games of Week 15, where uh, we'll start with the Panthers, who beat the Falcons 9-7. to They got three field goals in this game, once again, very, very slow on offense. Um, that's been a trait for the Panthers all season long. It's been their theme. They just don't have much offensive production, but their defense did enough. Uh, to keep them in this one, and then the Falcons had some really, really costly turnovers, especially one late in the red zone in interception by Desmond Ritter, uh, and the Panthers ended up capitalizing on that, getting a last-second field goal uh, to win the game, which technically hurts their uh, pick chances, but it actually doesn't matter because their number one pick is going to the Bears anyway, so... Uh, I guess it doesn't really, it's a really odd time to tank for them because, well, obviously they're not, they're just not good. It's not like they're intentionally trying to lose. It's just that Bryce Young is too young, no pun intended, to really lead this team to any meaningful success. Um, so they're kind of stuck in a hard place because they don't, they don't have the ability to really win games either. Uh, but I guess it's just a year all about growth for them and then they have to clean some things up before next year starts. Um, well, you know, I, I guess it's helpful to have the first pick in the second round and the third round, etc. as well. So... Yeah, I guess that technically helps, but it'd be a lot nicer if they got the number one pick out of this year. Um, but unfortunately, not happening because of that DJ Moore trade. Uh, then you have the Texans, who beat the Titans 19-16 to in overtime with Case Keenum playing quarterback C.J. Stroud out with a concussion. Uh, the Titans, they had a big lead in this one. They were up 13-3 to at the half, but they weren't able to close it out, and instead the Texans get the victory, move to 8-6, and six, and uh, keep... Keep winning in a very, very crowded wild card race where I think there are there is at least one team I think that's eight and six and technically out of the playoffs right now, uh, based on the current standings. So it's crazy in the AFC because in the NFC seven and seven is good enough. Um, six and seven or six and eight is pretty much in the hunt. You're right there. Um, here eight and six is not even good enough to be in if you don't have the right tiebreakers. Um, so that's a little crazy, but the AFC has just been a lot better in terms of depth and just across the board. Um, and then you have the Browns, who beat the Bears 20-17. to They had 13 points in the fourth quarter. Joe Flacco was kind of struggling in this one. It was tied 7-7 at the half. Um, the Bears ended up leading 17-7 going into the fourth quarter, though. Uh, but the Browns rallied, scored 13 in the fourth to come back and win 20-17. to uh, The Bears had a chance to complete a Hail Mary at the end of the game, but there was... 
I guess what you can call a drop by Darnell Mooney off of a deflection. So this game really could have gone either way for so many different reasons. Uh, but it was the Browns who came out on top. Then you have the Rams who, like I said, are a 7-7 team that's in the playoff picture in the NFC based on some tiebreakers. Um, they beat the Commanders 28-20 to get to that record. This game wasn't necessarily as close as the scoreboard indicated. The Rams were up 20 to nothing at some point. It really just only gave up points in garbage time. Um, but the Commanders made it close on the scoreboard at the end. So technically I, I included it here because I wasn't actually very impressed with some of the Rams coverages in the second half that kind of allowed the Commanders to get back into the game. Um, just overall wasn't a dominant performance against a team that really isn't very good um, in Washington. So... They would be on most impressive if they held that lead a little longer, but letting them get 20 second half points wasn't a great sign, even though the game was never really in doubt for the Rams. Um, but then we'll move on to the Bengals, who beat the Vikings 27-24 to in overtime. They had to score 21 points in the fourth quarter to even send this game uh, to overtime, and behind some ridiculous catches by T. Higgins, even with Jamar Chase out with an injury, they eventually did do that, and then they got the stop they needed on defense that allowed them to kick a game-winning field goal. Um, so the Bengals, credit to them for getting this win. It was a hard win to pull out, and it was one that they needed. Um, and speaking of wins that they needed, the Seahawks, they mounted a fourth-quarter comeback of their own, scoring 10 in the fourth to upset the Eagles at home 20-17. to uh, This was even crazier because of all the Drew Locke-Geno Smith conversation before the game, and then the fact that um, Geno ended up not playing, Drew Locke ended up playing instead. And he led the game-winning drive, throwing it to Jackson Smith and Jigba for the game-winning catch. Jalen Hurts had some questionable plays at the end of this game and really throughout the game. Um, but the Eagles, they just, they, they've lost kind of their magic. They've now lost three in a row. Um, and we'll just have to see what happens with them as the season unfolds. Not quite looking like the contender we once thought they were. Um, and with the Cowboys looking as bad as they did this week, which I'll get to in a second, really looks like San Francisco might run away with the NFC. Uh, but then you have the Raiders in the most impressive teams. Let's start, let's go there now. I should have mentioned that. But yeah, most impressive teams of Week 15 will start with the Raiders, who put up 63 points against the Chargers on Thursday Night Football. Uh, this feels like it was an eternity ago, honestly. Uh, this game feels like it was forever ago. But yeah, the Raiders put up a franchise record 63 points against the Chargers uh, to move to 6-8 and eight on the season. Not like they're in playoff contention or anything, but... Look, the Chargers, they've been disappointing all year long. Um, this is the proof that it's definitely not Herbert's fault. Um, and Brandon Staley and their GM were also fired on, actually on Friday morning, which is rare um, for a Friday morning firing. But it did happen this week because that was a terrible performance and uh, it was about time for Staley to go, even though I would have argued it should have happened a lot longer ago. Um, but regardless, the Raiders moved to 6-8. and eight. They've been playing well under Antonio Pierce. Uh, the Chargers, on the other hand, have not been playing well under Brandon Staley all year long, and without Herbert, probably won't be much better at the end of the year. Um, but then you have the Ravens, who beat the Jaguars on Sunday Night Football, twenty-three to seven. They put up fourteen points in the th in the fourth, excuse me, thirteen points in the fourth quarter uh, to really put this game away after the Jags had uh, cut it to ten to seven. But the Jags had so many opportunities in this game to kind of close this down, to keep the lead down. They missed two field goals. Trevor Lawrence fumbled in the red zone with literally no one knocking the ball out. He just kind of dropped the ball. So uh, not the greatest performance by the Jaguars, but at the same time, can't put the Ravens in, can't put this game on close games because it was a 16-point game. Um, so 
I'll give the Ravens defense credit. Uh, they did force those field goals to be long field goals, both 50-yarder and a 55-yarder that were missed, I believe. So not a, not like it was a you know an easy field goal that Brandon McManus missed. They were long field goals um, in some tough conditions. But the Jaguars still failed to capitalize on many of the opportunities they had. Um, but credit the Ravens defense for still just bunkering down for the rest of the game and only allowing that one big drive by the Jaguars, excluding that... Uh, that fumble by Lawrence, because that was also a long drive, but obviously didn't result in any points. Um, then you have the Bills. Credit to this defense and this running game. Josh Allen didn't even have to throw for 100 yards, and the Bills won 31-10. Uh, the Cowboys, they just got moved off the line of scrimmage. This looked like, for lack of a better comparison, this just looked like what Michigan looks like when they play weak teams at the beginning of the year. They just blow the other team off the ball, and that's kind of the end of the story. There's nothing else that the Cowboys could have done about it um, except defend the run better, and I guess that has been kind of a struggle. I've heard analysts talking about that. I haven't watched the Cowboys that closely to know whether that is the only problem, whether that is the main problem, but based on what I did see from this game, I would be willing to say that that's probably the main problem they have. Um, and then offensively, they they completely stagnated against a Bills defense that's been actually playing pretty poorly recently, but I guess is starting to maybe turn the corner. We'll see uh, if that'll be enough for them down the stretch because they're still at 8-6 and six in a crowded AFC, like I've talked about so many times. Um, for the Cowboys, their, uh, th- their run at the top of the NFC West, or NFC East, excuse me, ended very briefly. Um, and then technically they're back up there now, now that the Eagles lost again. Um, both teams at 10-4 and four and not really looking too great for the one seed um, based on the remaining schedule for the Niners, although they do have a tough game against the Ravens coming up. Um, by the way, the Niners destroyed the Cardinals this weekend, but that's not impressive because the Cardinals are terrible. Um, so that's not that's why that one's not on here. Um, but then the Saints, they beat the Giants 24-6. Very, very good performance by their defense. Tommy DeVito had kind of caught fire recently, um, but nowhere near enough to beat the Saints. Good performance by them and uh, James Winston, I believe, starting that game. Then you have the Colts, who won 30-13 to over the Steelers. The Steelers have been really bad since firing Matt Canada. Maybe it wasn't his fault. Maybe it's just the fact that they don't really have a quarterback. Um, but look, the Colts, they played a good game regardless. They put up 30 points, made sure that even though the Steelers were going to try to drag them into the mud into a low-scoring game, uh, they just kept scoring, and they made that not a problem. Then you have the Lions, who beat the Broncos 42-17. to when the Broncos' defense doesn't play well, this team looks really bad. When it does play well, this team looks good to, you know, great, maybe. I don't really think they've ever looked like a Super Bowl contender, um, but they've looked like they can maybe, you know, win a playoff game. Uh, you, that's probably the limit for them um, when their defense is playing well, and in this game, it, it didn't play well. So the Lions just walked away with an easy victory. They were up 21 nothing at the half, just not a close game whatsoever. Then you have the Buccaneers who beat the Packers 34-20. A big road win for the Bucs. This was an important game in both the wildcard race and the Bucs divisional race because the Saints are 7-7. Seven seven. Uh, the Falcons moved to 6-8 and eight after beating the Panthers, but I'm sure both of those teams thought they were in must-win games considering um, that, you know, the Falcons probably should have moved to 7-7 seven and seven by beating the worst team in the league, but they didn't, and that would have been a three-way tie atop the division. But now it's just the Saints and the Bucs at the top. Um, but we'll see what happens. I think those two still have to play each other at least once, maybe twice. But yeah, for now, the Buccaneers sitting at 7-7. Seven and seven, They are good enough for a wild card spot, even if they aren't winning the division. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens at the end of the season. It was a big win for them. Bad loss for the Packers. Then the Dolphins beat the Jets 30 to nothing. 
Um, not that impressive because the Jets are just bad, but fact of the matter is, this team, they don't play as well as they do offensively without uh, Tyreek on the field. He wasn't on the field, and they still put up 30 points. That's a good sign for them um, as we move forward. And then, obviously, the defense, just a shutout is hard to come by in the NFL, but they pitched one this weekend. Um, they've been playing really well recently as well. But that's all I have for the NFL. Let's move on now to college football, where we will talk briefly about the seven bowl games that have happened so far. Going back to uh, Saturday, where there were six of these games, Ohio beat Georgia Southern 41-21. A good win for Ohio. It was something I wasn't expecting. I thought this game would be low scoring. I also thought Georgia Southern would win, so I guess I was wrong on on multiple fronts. (laughs) Um, But look... Ohio didn't have, I think ESPN said 76% of its touchdowns, something around 90% of the passing yards because Curtis Rourke entered the transfer portal. He ended up committing to Indiana. Uh, they didn't have a lot of their production. And they're also their star running back, C.A. Bangura, was also out. So they didn't really have anything that was that, that had played throughout the season, anything consistent that had played throughout the season. And yet here they are with this victory. So credit to Ohio for getting that victory shorthanded. Um, then you have Jacksonville State who beat Louisiana 34-31 in overtime. So much for the NCAA's eligibility rules. This is why those rules are stupid, because this team was more than capable of going to and winning a bowl game, and that is exactly what they did, ending the season 9-4. A great season for Jack State in their first year um, in NCAA FBS action. Um, So, look, it's a great season for them. It's a great story, Um, and I'm very happy that they got their win, and I'm hoping that James Madison can do the same. Um, later on in bowl season. And then speaking of teams that used to be FCS, uh, Appalachian State beat Miami of Ohio 13-9. They go to 9-5 on the year. While Miami of Ohio did put up an 11-win season, um, they did lose this bowl game. Not a great way to end the year, but App State was favored. Miami of Ohio had some players out, I believe, due to the transfer portal and opt-outs, which, you know, that's common in bowl games. I mean, this is just kind of how the cookie crumbles when it comes to this kind of a season. Um, and, and the way that the transfer portal works, how it opens so early, it really, it's not a great system, especially for the teams that have, you know, players that want to be with their teams even throughout the playoff, but can't really do that without risking not being able to transfer um, and all those opportunities already being taken up by other guys. So it's not a great system at all. Um, but, you know, we could talk about that on a different podcast that you could do a lot of things with a podcast related to uh, bad NCAA rules. Um, But that's not what this is. We're going to keep talking about the games themselves. Um, Fresno State beat New Mexico State 37-10. No players out for Fresno State, really, but New Mexico State had a great season. You know, they had that win over Auburn as well. A 15-game season uh, because they played, yeah, they played Hawaii and used them as the 13-game exception and then I think also played in their conference championship game. Very rare to see a 10-5 record. That, That just doesn't happen very often because of the fact that you have to play A, an extra game, and B, in a conference championship game, which is rare um, at that record. But I guess, you know, 10 wins are 10 wins. And New Mexico State did have a pretty good season. Um, Fresno State, though, coming out with the bowl win, um, ending their season on a good note, I guess, is all I can say for them. Um, And then their conference mate, Boise State, fell to UCLA in the LA Bowl, uh, the closest stadium to the campus that UCLA has played at all season long, which is crazy, but yes, SoFi is closer than both the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl. Um, they went 8-5, and five, though, uh, beat Boise State 35-22 to in this game. Boise State was up 
uh, 16 to 7 at the half. But UCLA, it felt like, you know, they might be able to make a comeback. Uh, Connor Schley and Chase and Ethan Garbers kind of switched off um, playing, but Ethan Garbers ended up throwing two big touchdown passes uh, that ended up leading to the victory for UCLA as they sp- as they scored 21 points in the third quarter. Um, and once they had that 28-16 lead, they did not look back. Uh, their conference mate, Cal, though, did wasn't so successful. After Cal beat, actually destroyed UCLA um, on the road at the end of the season, they couldn't carry the momentum into the bowl game. Uh, they did get a pick six on one of the first few plays of the game and then scored again in the first quarter. But then Texas Tech really woke up, um, won this game 34-14 to uh, after being down 14-7 to at the end of the first quarter. But the fact of the matter is, Texas Tech did not have a good season. They were better last year than they were this year on paper um, in terms of the record, but the team was supposed to be so much better this year. They were supposed to take that momentum, move it forward. They had great momentum in recruiting. They continue that momentum this year, I should add. But the fact of the matter is, this was a disappointing season for Texas Tech. This was supposed to be their step forward, um, and they took a step back. It was a small step back, but they did take a step back. Um, for them, though, overall in their program direction, I'm sure they're happy with two years in a row um, being in a bowl game. So the fact of the matter is they will get back on their feet. They had a good recruiting class, and everything's going to be easier next year because the Big 12 is becoming a much worse football conference since it's losing Oklahoma and Texas. Their schedule will be much easier uh, next year, and they'll probably capitalize on that with a few new wins. But they were kind of supposed to cement themselves, you know, show that they could play at the top of the conference this year, and they just didn't do that. Um, so a little bit of a disappointing season for them, but a good end to the season ending above 500 with that seven and six record. Then you have Western Kentucky who rallied from 21 to nothing down in the first quarter, uh, and 28, seven down at the half, put up 21 points in the fourth quarter and then won the game in overtime, 38 to 35. A lot of special teams in this game, uh, that helped Western Kentucky out. They blocked the field goal. They blocked another field goal in overtime. Old Dominion missed a field goal short at the end of the half. Um, Western Kentucky had like four or five turnovers in this game, but they ended up being able to overcome all of them as a result of just a superior passing attack um, and just, you know, honestly, some great plays by their receiver, Dalvin Smith, as well. Um, Old Dominion had lived in one-score games, six and four on the year in such games, but Western Kentucky came out on top uh, in this game. But that's all we have for college football bowl games. Let's now turn to basketball starting in the NBA. We will start, as always, with the most impressive teams of last week. I'm going to start with the Clippers. They went 4-0. They beat Indiana. They beat the Knicks. They beat Golden State. And they beat Sacramento. They lost their first five games in the James Harden Big 3 era, but since then they have really figured things out and then some. Uh, Recently, they, after an 8-10 start, have rattled off eight straight victories, including the four this week. Uh, where they averaged 133.8 points per game to get to 16 to 10 on the, 16 and 10 on the season, which is good enough for sixth in the West. Um, after all this talk, you know the Lakers uh, beat the Clippers for the first time in I think like 10 or 11 games in the regular season series earlier, and then since then the Clippers have been on fire, and the Lakers have only won in season tournament games. Um, so all of a sudden the Clippers are actually ahead of the Lakers in the standings after that horrible start to the season, and, and you know it's a crowded West, so you need to have stretches like this. Now they just need to make sure they don't kind of, they, they will regress to the mean. I don't think this team is, you know, a, a dominant 70-win type team, even if it started out at the start of the year with this big three. I don't think that's what type of team this is. 
Um, if they can stay healthy, though, I still think they can be a really solid team. I think they'll avoid the play-in um, pretty easily if these guys stay healthy. Kawhi has played every game of the year. I don't know if that'll keep up. But if it does, and if it does for the whole team, really, um, that level of availability will just elevate this team so much um, that, you know, they should be probably a three or a four seed um, in the West, maybe higher um, if they can really, 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 really stay healthy. But injuries hit everyone eventually. Um, so for now, they should bask in the glory that they're having right now. And speaking of basking in the glory, the Celtics went 4-0 this week. They're our second team on the list. They beat Orlando back-to-back, and they beat Cleveland back-to-back. While the Cavs and the Magic are both, uh, you know, solidified playoff contenders, currently 6th and 4th in the East, the Celtics had no trouble beating both of them twice in a row this week. Um, They're now 14-0 at home this season after those four victories, and they sit atop the East on their own and tied for the best record in the NBA, currently tied with the Timberwolves, who we'll talk about more later. But look, the Celtics, they just continue to do their thing. There's just nothing that can really stop this team from having a good season other than obviously injuries just like with everybody, but their guys really have been available the last few years. Um, they've claimed high seeds every single year, uh, and they're looking forward to enjoying that home field adva- or home court excuse me advantage um, that they've had so many years, and I think it's really important that they get that because, well, they're 14-0 at home. I-, I think they technically did lose that game to the Pacers, um, at home in the in-season tournament. No, 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 that game was on the road, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but, yeah, the Celtics, they've been great at home. Um, obviously, 14-0 is a ridiculous record, and it's not like they're struggling on the road either. They're 6-5. and five. So if they can get that one seed, which it looks like they're going to, it's going to be scary to try to beat Boston considering that home record and the fact that they would have home court. Um, but I'll move on now to the Bucks, who are one of the top contenders to beat the Celtics if there are any teams that can. Uh, They beat Houston, Detroit, and Indiana this week. They played an okay schedule, but they still had a good week regardless. They scored 138 points per game. Uh, Defense is still kind of the main issue with this team, but look, 138 points per game, it doesn't matter what your defense does. You're going to win those games anyway. Um, You know, an incident related to who should get the game ball after Giannis' 64-point game against the Pacers probably made the most headlines for this team overall, Uh, but I'm giving them credit for what they did on the court rather than focusing on what happened off the court and I'll move on now to the Timberwolves, who are fourth on this list. They went 3-0 this week. Um, they beat Miami, Indiana, and Dallas. A lot of Indiana losses on this list. You'll figure out why that's a theme in a second. Um, but the Timberwolves have been great all year long, and they're atop the West at 20-5. and uh, I would have put them higher on this list, but, you know, maybe they deserve to be over the Bucks. I don't know. But the Timberwolves, they have the top record in the league. They're tied with the Celtics um, with that 20-5 and record. So it's kind of hard to put them up there um, when... They have just been playing this well all season long. Obviously, I did that with the Celtics, but that was more because they went 14-0, and they went 4-0 on the week in total. Um, But look, this week featured a few good wins over good teams and also a big comeback against the Heat. I believe they were down 17 at some point. Um, But Minnesota continues to find ways uh, to win and be successful, and that is a very good trait of a very good team. Um, So good for the Timberwolves. They look like they're going to be able to sustain this level for a while. Um, But now we'll move on to the least impressive teams of the week, Starting with the Pacers, who went 0-4. They lost to the Clippers, Minnesota, Washington, and Milwaukee. Yes, they did lose to three teams on the most impressive list, but they also lost to the Wizards. Um, I have no doubt that this team will figure things out and be good long-term, and I mean that long-term as in years down the line and for this this overall season. But I do think that this season, if they don't trade for a guy like OG Ananobi, uh, they don't have a chance of winning in a seven-game series against most of the contenders, especially the Bucks or the Celtics. Because their defense just isn't good enough. Um, They're a very, very fun team to watch. 
but they really do need to get better on the defensive end before they can be seriously considered as a championship contender. I know they made it to the in-season tournament finals. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is, they had their offense go off in the game against the Bucks. The Bucks went cold for just a little bit. Also, the Bucks are also just terrible on defense, too. So, you know, that's kind of a battle of two teams with similar styles. And I think that over the course of a seven-game series, but the Bucks would probably win out, um, mostly, honestly, just because of experience. You know, they've been in those moments a lot more. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the Pacers are still fun to watch. They're still going to make noise in the playoffs. I'm just not sure how many teams they can actually beat if they can't um, if they can't play better defense over the course of the season. Um, but then I'll move on to the Magic, who are 0-2 this week. They lost to Boston twice. Look, there's no real shame in losing the Celtics twice on the road and having that be your whole week. Um, but due to the lack of bad teams this week, and we'll talk about some other things related to that in a second, um, Orlando ended up here. They need to show signs of being more competitive against contenders if you want me to be neat, nitpicky, um, as neither of the matchups with Boston were very close games. I think they lost both games by 17 points. Uh, then you have the Grizzlies. They lost to OKC, Houston, and Houston again, making for an 0-3 week. They had an opportunity to back to get back in the in the win column before Jaws returned tonight from his 25-game suspension, but instead they end the jawless portion of the year 6-19, and 19, which means that they've basically gone through a third of the year. Um, and, you know, Jaw, I don't know if he can be so good that he can bring this team um, to a good enough place where they'll make the playoffs with a 6-19 hole to begin with. They've just dug themselves into a bigger hole than I think they can take themselves out of, especially considering how crowded the West is from top to bottom. Um, then I will go to the Lakers. They beat the Knicks and they beat Dallas and, or excuse me, they lost to the Knicks, Dallas, and San Antonio. They did beat San Antonio earlier, but they're on here for a few reasons. First of all, and this is what I was talking about earlier when I said lack of bad teams, putting the Blazers, the Pistons, or the Hornets on here just feels disingenuous. The Wizards are included in that too, but they did get a win this week um, because they're just so bad. Like, they're just too bad to be included on a disappointing teams list or at least impressive because they're just obviously bad. It's not like they're not impressive. We just know that they don't win games. But anyway, uh, the second thing is they lost to the Spurs, who had previously lost 18 games in a row. And by the way, they belong in that list of teams that um, don't go on this list anymore. And they had lost to the Lakers without LeBron two days before the Spurs beat them with LeBron as well. Um, so one and three for this team against this schedule they played this week. It just isn't enough, although, you know, maybe it's to be expected as some form of in-season tournament championship hangover, just like the Pacers had, although the Pacers didn't win the championship. Um, but that's all I have for the NBA. We can turn now to the last topic of the day, college basketball, where, you know, the slate is starting to slow down a little bit as we wind down into that winter break period, you know. We're college kids, right? I mean, the players on the on the court, we got it. They got finals, you know. <laughs> they they have other stuff to do, so they can't be just sitting here and playing for our entertainment. But they did take Saturday to have a very fun day. Uh, but we'll go back all the way to Wednesday to start with, where Chicago State beat number twenty five Northwestern seventy five to seventy three. This was a huge upset. Um, rarely do you see a team beat the best team in the country and also lose to probably the worst team in the country. I don't think Chicago State is at that level at this point because they've actually rattled off some wins recently and they're not that bad overall, but there was a point where that argument could have been made. I think Ken Palm had them at like 320-something, so they're definitely down there. They're not the worst team, though. Um, there definitely are some worst teams. They're not They're not the worst, but they're among the worst 50 or 60, probably. 
um, until they show other signs. So this is a really disappointing loss for Northwestern. Kind of a resume killer by the end of the year. Probably will bump them down a seed line for that. Um, if they had not had that, you know, loss, they'd be at 10-1, probably top 20 um, by the start of this week. But instead, they are going to not be ranked, obviously. I think they're very obviously not ranked. Um, and then UNLV beat number nine Creighton, 79-64. Creighton just can't beat Mountain West teams. I don't know what it is. Um, well, I do know what it is. Creighton is an, is an on-off shooting team, really, is what it is. Um, they rely so heavily on running their opponents off the three-point line and making threes themselves. They didn't have a good shooting night in this game. UNLV did. They shot more threes. They made more threes. And as a result, Creighton ends up with a 15-point loss. That's kind of the risk of playing that style. The reward is obviously that you can really beat anybody if you're on. Um, and, you know, Creighton will probably still get really big wins in the, in the Big East. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a team like Butler or a team like St. John's kind of in the middle of that conference can come up and steal a win off of them that's important for those teams' resumes just because Creighton has an off-shooting night. Um, not speaking of off-shooting nights, speaking of a team that seemingly never has off-shooting nights, number five, UConn beat number 10, Gonzaga, 76-63. to um, This was one of those fake neutral site games that it's in Seattle, even though Gonzaga's the team playing in it. So, you know, that's technically not really neutral because UConn's probably, you know, 500 times farther away than Gonzaga is from the game. But the fact of the matter is, UConn didn't care. The environment didn't bother them. They did travel pretty decently well, considering, um, you know, distance for traveling all the way across the country. Um, they didn't necessarily have a massive contingent of fans, but they had a few. Um, and UConn overall played a great game. Um, had they not lost to Kansas, I would be easily saying this team is the number one team in the country. And even that game was without Steph Castle, and they only lost by four now in Fieldhouse, which probably indicates that this might be the best team in the country um, once again. It's just, it's ridiculous what this team can do on the offensive end, and they're also really solid defensively. Um, I think that they're going to probably be in that Ken Palm tier of top 20 in offense and defense that constitutes a championship contender by the end of the season. They're probably there right now. Um, and I really like what I'm seeing from them, especially on the offensive end. I just don't see how you stop this team. They just... They just seem to know where each other are at all times, and they're always in the right places, and they always knock down shots when they're open. Um, it's just really hard to guard. Meanwhile, Gonzaga has three losses, but their conference still sucks, so they'll probably end the year with five or six losses and end up as like a two or three seed. Uh, it won't be deserved at all, but that's probably what will happen. We'll see, though. Um, this team is definitely not the Gonzaga teams of the past. It, it's clearly weaker. I just don't know if their resume will indicate that because I don't think their conference is any better this year. Um, than it normally is. So, and I think it also took a hit because BYU left. Um, so it's a lot worse than it used to be just on on just on a talent and depth perspective overall. They lost one of the best teams in the conference, arguably the second or third best. And, you know, San Francisco and St. Mary's haven't exactly had great seasons to fill that. I guess Santa Clara can fill that void in second, but those three teams are kind of the ones that normally compete with Gonzaga. I'm not so sure they're ready to do that this year, um, even though Gonzaga's a step down themselves. But then you have number three, Purdue, who beat number one, Arizona, 92 to 84, just like Gonzaga playing a neutral site game that's not really a neutral site game. This was in Indy. So very, very Purdue fa uh, favored crowd. But Arizona had some fans show up as well. Uh, they did travel really, really well, considering how far away uh, it is. But obviously, that's still way closer than UConn is to uh, Seattle. But anyway, Purdue's guards and really just the whole team just went off in this game. Uh, they had a lot of points at the half. They didn't slow down in the second half. You just know that when this team is on and hitting threes, they're pretty much impossible to beat. This happened to be one of those games. I don't think Arizona could have played much better. 
Um, but they still ended up with the loss, and that's one of the best teams in the country, so that says a lot about Purdue, but they need to play at their peak to actually have results like this. Um, you know, when they're not shooting well, they're really not good, and that's how you lead to losses like team, losses like the one against Northwestern. Uh, but then I'll go to number two, Kansas, who beat Indiana 75-71. to Indiana had a lead at the half in this game, but Kansas rallied back to win a close one at the end. You know, there were some controversial calls at the end of this one as well, so um, I'll let people you know, debate that how much they want to. But look, Kansas played a good game. Um, they deserved the victory in the end. They fought hard to get it. Then you have number four, Houston, who beat A&M, Texas A&M, 70-66. to I can't say A&M because it's not football. There were like eight A&Ms in D1 um, in basketball. But Houston played a really, really good game. Uh, they were up by a lot at the half. They kind of let their foot off the gas at the end of the game. Um, but the fact of the matter is, this team just keeps doing what it needs to do. They just keep winning games. Their non-conference wasn't exactly the strongest, but they will have time to figure it out. They play in the Big 12 now, so they will have a really, really stacked conference slate to get wins over good teams, unlike in the past where really all they could do was beat Memphis um, and, you know, maybe, you know, a UCF team or a Tulane team that was decent. But this year, they will have plenty of opportunities to both improve their resume with good wins, but also, you know, take some hits on their resume by getting, you know, losing some games and some upsets because there are a lot of quality teams in the Big 12. Um, but speaking of quality teams in the Big 12, Michigan State did not make Baylor look like one of those this weekend. They beat Baylor 88-64. to Mind you, Baylor had been undefeated on the season. You know, they'd had some close games against some decent teams, but they the, Baylor still looked like a top, you know, 10 or 15 team in the country. I don't think that you know, they should have been up there at number six. I really just think that, you know, they were undefeated and that was good enough and their talent is great. But this is not a top of the Big 12 type of team when the Big 12 has two teams like Kansas and Houston in it. Um, I almost said Arizona, but I guess that's next year. Um, but look, Baylor will, Baylor will be fine long-term. They'll end up top 15, top 20. They should be a four or five seed in the tournament. I just don't necessarily think they're a one or a two seed, but Michigan State they need wins like this. They have a tough schedule, but the fact of the matter is it's not enough to just play a tough schedule and lose all those games. You do have to come up with some victories, especially when you drop games like a home game to Nebraska that really shouldn't have, or, or a road game to Nebraska, I guess. But um, that game shouldn't have been that tough for them. And then the, the home game to Wisconsin, excuse me, is the one I was thinking of. You can't go 0-2 in that stretch. You've got to go 1-1. and um, And if you don't, you got to pull out wins like this. you got to beat Baylor. you got to beat some of those teams they played in the championship classic, those types of games if you can't secure those victories against um, against your own conference teams and in, in games that are winnable. Um, but you know what? They pulled it off this weekend and they're starting to improve their resume. I still think that they're more talented than most of the Big Ten. Um, so they'll probably be good enough to get a good enough record, get into the NCAA tournament again, and then you never know what happens. Uh, then you have number eight, Creighton, who beat Alabama 85-82. to Creighton has had some issues with consistency this year, but this game they played just good enough um, to beat Alabama, as we talked about, you know, they lost to UNLV last week, um, but, or sorry, in the middle of this week as well, but, you know, they did enough in this game, Alabama almost banked in a shot at the end of the game to uh, tie this game and send it to overtime, but they didn't, Alabama is a quality team, but they just can't get the big victory, they've been so close, they were so close against Purdue, so close against Creighton, really so close against Clemson as well at home, um, but they just haven't gotten the big wins yet, but they're clearly staying competitive in these games because they're really good. Um, that is just one of the things that you just can't deny. This is a really good team. They probably will contend at the top of the SEC, and depending on the, on the way their schedule breaks, um, if they can pick up a win over Kentucky or Tennessee, they might be able to win the conference themselves, but 
Speaking of those teams, number 14, Kentucky beat number nine, North Carolina, 87-83. I said it earlier, this was just a really, really great game. Um, uh, the note I have here is just high-level basketball. It, it was just two really, really good teams going at it, and I loved watching it. Um, and we'll continue to see those teams challenge themselves as North Carolina plays Oklahoma tonight, I believe. Uh, then you have number 12, Tennessee, who beat NC State 79-70. Tennessee is very clearly proving that they can hang with the best of the best, and then they really beat up on anybody worse than that. Um, so I like what I'm seeing from Tennessee overall. I think this is a top 10 team in the country. I, I like Dalton Connect. I like everything that they have um, on the defensive end, and I think they're really built solidly to be maybe Rick Barnes' best team. It's possible. Um, then you have Memphis. They pulled off the upset, beat number 13, Clemson, 79-77. to 77. I guess it technically wasn't an upset. I think Vegas had them favored, but Clemson was undefeated going into this game, so it is somewhat of an upset. Um, and then you have Dayton, who beat Cincinnati, 82-68. to 68. Dayton has flown under the radar, um, but their only, loss this year, their only losses this year are to Northwestern and Houston. They have some decent wins. They haven't really played... They haven't gotten wins over, you know, any ranked teams, but those two losses are not bad. As of last week, that was, you know, a loss to number four, number 25, and they have some wins over some good teams. I think they have a good chance to make some noise um, in the conference, and they should be pretty good by the end of the year. Um, and I think they will be able to secure that A-10 auto bid um, and, you know, move on with a successful season. Then you have Auburn, who beat USC 91-75. Auburn's another one of those teams. Them and Alabama are kind of in that next tier behind Kentucky and Tennessee. I really do think they can compete in the SEC, and they have a chance uh, to 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 you know beat out the teams like Texas A&M like Mississippi State who are also kind of in that middle tier of the conference uh, or, or I guess the upper middle tier of the conference um, and I think they can kind of punch above their own weight and beat some of those teams they have a really really good they've had a really good non-conference slate so far they have a loss to App State but people don't realize App State is a really really good team also um, and that was a close loss it was really a trap game for Auburn and they fell into the trap but other than that they've had a pretty good season and I think they'll be able to keep it up in conference play, their only other losses to Baylor. So they're a good team. And then you have Nebraska, who went on the road and beat Kansas State 62 to 46. Wins over Kansas State, wins over Michigan, win over Michigan State. Uh, losses so far, I think, are to Creighton, and I, I think maybe I, I don't remember the other loss, to be quite honest. But you know, it was a it was a bad loss to Creighton, but other than that, this team has been really, really good. Um and nine and two. Oh yeah, the other loss was to Minnesota, yeah, on the road. Um but Look, 9-2 for this team is pretty good. If they can stay at 500 in conference, I think they put together a strong enough non-conference schedule and, and, and enough victories there that they should make the tournament. Um, and that's something that Nebraska hasn't been looking at in a long time. So, you know, if they go 19-12, 20-11, that kind of record, they will make the tournament. And I think that is what will happen. But they might be one of only five or six teams in the Big Ten, depending on how the rest of the year unfolds. But that is all I have for this week. That wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, December 26th, where we will once again look at my weekend predictions, review week 16 in the NFL, continue looking at the college football bowl season, have another review of the NBA season, and have another look at the college basketball season. In the meantime, please be sure to check out my weekend, or sorry, my additional content, including my predictions for every college football bowl game that were posted last Monday. My basketball uh, tournament bracket, obviously, that will be posted tomorrow, and my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.